0: The results are out?
1: Yes, let's see what it says.
0: So, what did you get?
1: And your IQ is 90. Oh, amazing! I'm a genius. Well, 90 is below average. What? Lost for Stone podcast. In this episode, Naomi and I are going to talk about intelligence measurements starting from the 19th century. Enjoy! Before we try to speak about how intelligence is measured throughout history, all these famous scientists that affirm that they have the ultimate tests to tell if someone has the aptitude to do well in school, in their future, or the way they are at the moment. I think maybe we should start with a few definitions. For example, Dictionary.com says that it's the capacity for learning, or reasoning, understanding all these forms of mental activity. So things that will bring you the manifestation of a high mental capacity. You also. Have have a similar definition from merriam-webster such as the ability to apply the knowledge to manipulate it on an environment to think abstractly where you can measure this on an objective criteria such as tests which also include learning or understanding with these new situations that we deal and we have to give it a try on our day-to-day so naomi what would you tell me are some of the first formal methods made by scientists throughout history
0: well Intelligent would be characterized as success would be a synonym of uh, success because we had like before we had genius such as Mozart who excelled in music and they valued that they valued this uh, artistic thinking as well. But in in the 20th century, Alfred Binet basically measured the mental age of the person and the ability to learn. So it's trying to say to measure if the person could keep up with, for instance, grade ten or grade four, if the the child has like the capabilities to learn fast and to apply this knowledge.
1: So when we put it back to the real world, how is that put into practice? How is this applied in schools, for example? Because we're talking mainly about children, right?
0: Yes. I'll... At the time, Alfred Vinet was just trying to identify children with mental retardation or learning disabilities. Uh, he was not specifically stating what is his intelligence, although it was a natural consequence of it. But it was basically uh, trying to identify the, the children who were able to keep up with their colleagues, uh, what level they were in. Uh, for instance, a five-year-old child may have like the mental capacity of like a six-year-old, so uh, it would be let me say above average. One of those, those examples is because after Alfred Binet test, uh the US military started to use it to place uh, recruits in the position according to their abilities and skills and they also discovered that the recruits who scored higher in those standardized tests, they also learned faster. They did not need as much help. The recruits who scored in the lower 10 percent they usually need like six times more help with more time and more practice to learn. For example, in 1969, a study done for US Army by the Human Resources Research Office found that LSTs in the bottom 50 of the ability distribution required two or six times as many teaching trials and prompts as did their higher-ability peers.
1: So you're telling me that there's some kind of hierarchy?
0: Well, that's used by the US Army. Actually, due to the serious problems in training the low IQ military recruits during World War II, the Congress banned enlistment from the lowest 10% IQ, uh, so I would say like below 80.
1: I see. So, let's go a little bit more into this IQ test. What is it? It's, it's an abbreviation for intelligence quotient, right?
0: Yes. Uh, It basically measures the mental age, as I, I was saying previously.
1: But is there some kind of constant that is used? Because if I'm not wrong, you would have psychometricians that would use G for general intelligence. Yes,
0: the general intelligence actually is the G factor it would measure all those, those aspects. It would basically measure all sorts of intelligence because all the cognitive abilities tests, such as IQ, they measure like different aspects of your intelligence, such as spatial intelligence, they would like separate different traits of intelligence which they thought was necessary like by many fields.
1: Yeah, but, but in the end, they would give only one answer. They wouldn't specify what was coming from where. Actually,
0: it's possible to separate the answers. And the British psychologist, Charles Perman, he noticed that when people scored higher at one specific Type of intelligence like spatial intelligence for instance people who scored high higher at what type of intelligence usually score higher at all types of intelligence so they were like in like above average in general so he thought that all the types of intelligence were linked they were all like the ability to process information and to so he developed a test that would measure all range of intelligence and like the ability to succeed in the world in general from surviving in a forest to becoming an entrepreneur, for
1: instance. Okay, but for example, I'm gonna bring it to the 21st century. I'm currently living in Japan, and one of the things that I see very commonly in my (laughs) daily life in my school scenario is that there are many people that are very smart, and when I say smart, I'm saying they do well on their math tests, they seem to have a very good grasp of studying how to do those kinds of things but when you see that 14-15 year old nerd studying and in a totally different scenario interacting with a girl they've never seen before you think the guy is objectively like some kind of you you think you think the guy has never lived in society before that When, when as soon as he meets a girl or someone he has never talked to and it sounds silly but in a way shouldn't this be considered a type of intelligence is this a type of intelligence uh, taken into consideration from the IQ test?
0: No, the IQ test does not measure your ability to interact with people. Actually, as uh, there is a syndrome which people probably might have seen in Big Ben Theory and other like nerd TV shows. Uh, basically, it's a stereotype that it's a syndrome that may help you with like mathematics and the scientific subjects, but it may also contribute to the a barrier between you and people. You have like more trouble to recognize their expression, to understand what they're saying, to understand sarcasm. And this is pretty interesting now we have like social So
1: oh, just a second what is what is that called
0: Aspergus syndrome there are some people f- with for instance with autism and there are plenty of artists like very famous artists who had mental disease who had ex is ex- schizophrenia and if you analyze mri scans you will also see that the part that is related to creativity is also related to those types of mental disease such as schizophrenia
1: Who developed the IQ test then?
0: Well, Alfred Benel, what I was saying is he developed the first standardized test. He developed the first, let me say, SAT of the award, you know? But the IQ test took his research, his idea, uh, like, of measuring the intelligence level of people, and it basically applied, like, to adults and other people as well.
1: So when you say the IQ test, what do you mean? Because I- IQ test is not a person who was, or people. Who are behind this some kind of governmental agency or researchers
0: the iq test it was basically uh, a contribution from different people research Alfred should be named he developed a test to measure child's intelligence and a standardized test but a constant uh, the IQ, the intelligence quotient, was a, a concept firstly suggested by a German psychologist called Wilhelm Stern and adopted by Lewis Sternman, uh, and it used the Stanford Binet scale. So it's not exactly Binet, it was not exactly uh, Lewis German, it was, it was like all of them, you see?
1: So these psychologists gathered uh, the, the data, the, the, the system from Binet to, to create the IQ test.
0: Yes, it w- the concept was fr- firstly suggested by William Stern, and it was adopted by Lewis Sherman, and used the Stanford Binet.
1: So which, so what's the scale? The the intelligence quotient is the the way that you grade people by their intelligence when they take the test, right? The the numbers of the IQ test. What's the scale then?
0: From like zero to two hundred. And
1: what does zero mean? What does two hundred mean? And what's in the middle?
0: Well, the scale. Uh, t- take your ability to learn and the average ability to learn so just like a percentage if I am a child and uh, the example that I used before if I am a 10 year old child then I have the mental ability of a 15 year old uh, I have uh, 150 in my IQ test which is really above average.
1: So now that we know what the numbers from an IQ test mean, throughout history, what would people do with those results? You told us about an example in the American army uh, mid-1900s, but isn't this more famously known in Europe with children at school?
0: One terrible thing that people uh, did to those IQ tests in Second World War, uh, they were using as a way to justify part of the genocide they sterilized people who had low iq scores but the iq tests that the nazis developed were not about intelligence itself it was a fake iq test it were more about uh, what's christianity what christmas means so it was more about agreeing with the culture with the culture imposed by the society the 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 idea of trying to measure people trying to measure people intelligence it's pretty cheesy it's uh, pretty hard to do Uh, it's still one of the most polemic topics in psychology and the greatest challenge here is because uh you can lead to very eugenic theories which uh, is the idea there's some some genetic factor uh in the intelligence and so there are some people who should not uh, children. In U.S. and many countries when eugenics was really really popular, uh, they sterilize, they impose sterilization to many people like poor women, uh, Latin American women, and people they consider to be less intelligent.
1: On this adult scenario, uh, especially relating to killings, war, uh, yeah I can see how it's used. Uh, how about how about in the the school because for example what was considered retardation or severe severe mental disease
0: yes actually even Alfred Binet admitted that his research could be used in terrible ways Uh, he, he said that it was interesting to standardized ch- childs and to know what is their level to, uh, so they can keep up in the school and all of that but he, uh, he recognized the, the issues uh, of uh, his test and uh, he recognized that it could be used to to kind of give up on people for instance if you did not score above 75 you cannot even uh, go to army because you take way too long to learn. So they kind of gave up, and some people, you know.
1: Yeah, and in a way, can't we relate this to schools nowadays? People still take tests, and uh, some places, if you get below 60, you you don't you don't go to the next grade. You're you're taken as a you're taken very objectively if you know the content or if you don't uh is there some kind of connection but does it seem like there's some kind of connection between offering oh, an iq test those systems used and what is used nowadays
0: the problem is because for instance at school they use tests but not to see your capacity to learn but to see how much you have learned about the content that was taught the iq test it measures your ability to learn, so how much you are capable of, you know, your ability to learn, not knowledge itself. I don't see the test at school so problematic in the sense because it measures what you already know, if you are actually understanding what's being taught, not that your capacity is limited to a certain point.
1: So how would someone measure one's ability to learn? You would have to have a before and after result, right?
0: Well, the IQ, it basically measures things that help you to learn. For instance, uh, the this, this sense uh, your knowledge about space, the space around you, it's a very in, uh, important thing. If you're drawing, if you're uh, studying architecture uh, doing arts, uh, your ability to think rationally, which is also measured by the IQ test, uh, basically helps you... In analyzing from philosophy to math so it, it they were trying to see like a pattern something that was necessary it, like to learn but I see school more like a, the test that we receive at school to measure your knowledge not exactly your ability to learn because the idea there uh, that people have uh, an ability to learn that they could measure it also Led to the idea that some people would be more successful than others. People with higher IQs were thought to be more successful. But then people, like, uh, they start to notice. Wait, this person has an IQ lower than 125, so it's not in the five percent, uh, the top five percent. But it's still being a successful person. Uh, there are some presidents who did not have the 125 IQ score. And became president. So then came Howard (laughs) Gardner.
1: With Howard Gardner, an American Harvard professor, where he got his PhD, later proposed as the theory of multiple intelligences in his book, Frames of Mind, the theory of multiple intelligences. This we're all talking about late 1900s. His book was 1983. So according to him, he had different views from what was considered to be an outdated system coming from Alfred Binet and his later influenced IQ test. Basically talks about different ways of processing information. So, these intelligences are measured into many numbers. You'll find in some places that people argue that there are seven, other places that there are eight, other places that there are dozens. But the main ones, which I've gathered are eight, these can be categorized as verbal-linguistic, logical-mathematical, visual-spatial, musical, naturalistic, body-kinesthetic, Interpersonal intelligence and intrapersonal intelligence. Let's start out from verbal linguistic. This is very straightforward. You can tell that it's the individual's capacity to analyze information, produce work that involves the oral and written language. These go anywhere from speeches, books, emails, and there's the whole interpretation system going on. This, what Naomi and I are talking at the moment, is part of that our intelligence to evolve our speech, get our point straight through. Next one, logical mathematical intelligence, which is basically the objective way of saying if an equation is right, making the proofs, calculations, solving these problems where you pretty much have to use critical thinking to find the solutions. This was uh, the second of his intelligence. The third one visual-spatial, this is where you have to be able to interpret maps, you have to get the graphical information and have a good perception of the environment around you, the interaction. Uh, Fourth, musical, where you have to make a meaning of different types of sound, be able to analyze something that is not as simple. People also refer to naturalistic intelligence as the fifth one, where you can distinguish, identify plants, animals, weather, basically biology. So an understanding of the natural world where you can adapt and find find all the formations. A Sixth one is kinesthetic, bodily kinesthetic, which where you can use your own body to solve problems, create pro- products, which to be honest, is probably b- by far the most useful one in our daily lives where we have to use the tools, equipments, uh, or have a self-physical awareness, something really primitive to build things, to have productivity in, in our in our society, to make money, of course. Uh, two last ones are, are opposites. Inter and intra-personal intelligences. So inter being ability to understand other people's moods, their desires, what they think, empathy, and intra meaning inside of you, the ability to recognize. The characteristics within yourself, how to control your emotions, your mental awareness, whatever is happening inside your brain, in your body. These were the eight kind of intelligences. You can see that Gardner has a much broader view of intelligence rather than the ability to adapt. This is not something that can be measured as an objective number, a single number, because these are separated into their own category. One doesn't affect another, you have the ability to evolve each one of them. Let's say if you're not very good in speech today, you can become good in speech tomorrow, while maintaining the same logical and mathematical intelligence. And the only criteria that Gardner would have to say what, what an intelligence is, is these can be isolated in your brain. In other words, you can you can dis- disassociate these intelligences from from another. One doesn't necessarily affect another. You can place them in evolutionary history. You can see why they're important to society, ranging from the prim- primitive society to nowadays. You can tell that these are all core operations of how the world works, how our environments around us uh, will help us survive. You can also say how these are very symbolic as well, where develop them into codes such as charts, graphs, they're distinctively used, you can get them for an end goal, every single one of them. You can think of a result where you would aspire to have by the very end, where you can look at the people at the very top and see how they are distinctly different from the people at the very bottom. You, you can use the experimental psychology as a way to figure out the intelligences, such as try to get someone in a complicated conversation while building a puzzle. You can tell that there's an interference in the linguistic intelligences. Since both of these activities require that attention, and finally, you can tell that these have to be backed up from reports and data. So these needs, this, all of these need to be able to be objectively measured.
0: Do you think current school model, academic model, uses the public government model to to measure intelligence, or do you think we value w- way too much? some types of intelligence rather than others.
1: There's definitely a good point in that question, because you can see that by having clubs, by having electives, schools don't force you, at least not in every single subject, when you get up to, the, to your middle school years or your high school years to be good at every single kind of intelligence. You can tell that you don't have to have musical intelligence to be good at logical and mathematical intelligence. So answering directly your question, in a way, yes, school underst- the school system understands that. you. Not everyone is good at math, not everyone is good at English, and people definitely have their own, I'll put this in quotation marks. <laughs> which unfortunately the, the listener cannot see me doing the finger quotation mark movements but I'll put them in quotation marks that they do take it in consideration when they don't force you to be good in some subjects they they understand that you're not necessarily good at all of them but they also don't when they say that everyone has to take English that everyone has to take math and in a way that is good for our society because at the very basis It is important for us to survive how to speak properly, how to do some basic math, to count our money, to subtract, divide, multiply, all these basic operations. It definitely doesn't see the results as uh, talent, in a way, as something that will let you go far and beyond from whatever intelligence you like and you desire to be the best with. Because yes, you have clubs that you can develop a specific kind of intelligence, but If you're still forced to take uh, every single uh, or at least a minimum amount of verbal linguistic intelligence classes or logical mathematical intelligence then it doesn't.
0: What about university? What about college? Because the top college usually value if you are really good at basically everything we try to keep our gpas high order uh, to get, have a really high gpa we have to be excellent in almost everything the average gpa for MIT for instance is 413 and if what about if i want to study physics and i do not score as well in my english test or in my art exam or if i am not as talented in those those subjects
1: yeah i definitely agree with you in a way this this conversation is going mainly talking mainly on the subjects of uh, higher education right high school, uh, college, where, of course, lower and middle schools will still make you take math, make you take those, those language classes. And with an objective and very valid reason, because those are things that are very basic You can't give the option to a kid to choose between either Math and English or Music and PE because, in a way, we we kind of have to be the dictator, we kind of have to say you have to take this and not give them the choice because we know that at the very minimum, you need to know how to speak, you need to know how to communicate, you need to know how to research, you need to know how to make these basic mathematical operations. So taking this to the higher education scenario, we definitely do see a shift from the IQ test at a let's say very objectively from the IQ test which you're measured by a number where is later taken into the multiple intelligence scenario and will make you be good at everything as you said
0: so you're saying you don't care depending on the area of um the area you're like hiring you don't care about the others, uh, other areas which are not involved, for instance, if I'm going to be a physicist, you don't care if I don't know how to play an instrument, in the same way you, you don't care if you're hiring a mu- musician. Um, if the musician doesn't know how to spell or how to make math calculations. But don't you think that adds up, like, to the depth of the person, how their their like general knowledge, their cultural knowledge, like how to be a deeper type of person, know a lot about one thing and know a little about many other things? Don't you think that's also a sign of success?
1: Yes. So I. So in a way, yes people still use the gardener, this gardener view of having different intelligences to use it either as an excuse for people that are not as good as one of the areas or as congratulations and an aspiration from people such as the, the ones you said in universities that are good at everything but and this goes more to an op- the opinion side. I think that's wrong. I don't care if the musician that I that I admire doesn't know how to make does doesn't know how to even like add or multiply or whatever it is if i'm hiring uh if i'm hiring some kind of architect or an engineer to build something to make the projects the blueprints of whatever i need to get done i don't care if they if what they like is the filthiest and worst kind of music around uh, in our society with with basically no talent at all you know these are things that should be considered separately they do have interactions between themselves and of course, we should all try our best to be as good in all of them as much as we can, but it doesn't make sense to analyze each of them as a mandatory minimum knowledge.
0: I think I would, like, disagree to like, sin with your opinion, because in some areas like mainly in the 21st century where you have to be creative to solve problems and think out of the box knowing just one specific skill make you a machine but knowing like many different skills and applying them in the specific areas it's what make you like extremely successful in your in your area and like right now i'm reading Arcadia, which is a book that is about math and and about chaos and it associated like the chaos theory the second law of thermodynamics with um, how life is, how things tend to go into a chaotic way. Things tend to prefer disorder rather than order, nice, and perfection, you know? And I admire really the author of this book because he was able to excel in different areas. He was able to understand uh, physical and mathematical concepts as well as excel in literature and be able to write a play and choose the right words. For me, that's what makes a professional specialist when they go beyond what they were supposed to do, when they do more.
1: No, I definitely agree. And this is basically one of the, biggest premises of the podcast is talking about various different subjects, going in depth about them, knowing more about the world around us, enhancing our our kinds of intelligences. But that's not what we have to expect from other. That's what we can admire about the people that go the extra mile. But that's not what we have to force them to do. They do that if they want. And objectively speaking, they don't have to go reach out for the other intelligences. Because when you apply it to the real world, when I'm hiring someone, when I'm hiring them to do something, I want them to know how to do that specific something. They don't know how to do that specific something. I don't care if they're good at doing anything else in the world because my necessity is what I want to be fulfilled properly. And kind of like, as I said before, it is nice to know all these different kinds of intelligence, be good at all of them. That makes you complete. That makes you more malleable and more interested in knowing, knowing in, uh, about the world and having the critical thinking, but that's not a necessity. It's, it's a fact. If you, if you know how to do A, B, and C, and the person that's running for the same job as you only knows how to do A and B, you have the better odds. You are more likely to get the job because if anything pops up and you have to be able to do C, then you're up for it. Even though that's not your, even though that that's the job doesn't ask for you to do that. That's why curriculum exists. That's why job interviews cannot be that objectively measured because some of those skills included Gardner's multiple intelligence. Some of these skills include verbal linguistic. How would you tell that someone has good verbal linguistics if you gave them a paper to solve uh, equations on uh, some kind of test? to apply for a job, or show that you're competent for engineering, whatever it is.
0: Don't worry, people always lie about their IQ number.
1: Mm, You do have a great point.